what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends, near and far, wherever you are. Some of you part of the longtime members of the Cornerstone community. Some of you joining us maybe for the very first time. And if that's you, I'm Pastor Terry Lee, pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. I'm so thankful you're with us right now. And my prayer is that the Lord would touch you, speak to you, and his love would flow in amazing ways. You know, we've been talking about our series, Healthy Love. We've been exploring it together, that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to spend some more time with that today. We're going to talk about how love is not easily irritated, how love can overcome anger. Maybe some of us struggle with anger. We don't know what to do with our anger. It comes out wrong. So we're going to sit with that and hopefully gain understanding. And I just want to pray even now, Lord, just come among us, be present, be near, meet us in the places where we need it most. You know, our heart, you know, things we struggle with, you know, our hopes and aspirations. We just welcome your love. We welcome your love and peace right now in Jesus name. Amen. I want to start by having us read from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6. This is from the ESV. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. There it is. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, last week we talked about how love is sacrificial, how it's humble and generous rather than self-seeking is other-oriented has a servant's heart but what i want to sit with as i as i alluded to earlier what i want to sit with in our time together is that love is not supposed to be irritable the older version captures it by saying love is not easily provoked that is it's not quick to anger to take offense or to fly off the handle reactively and speak death words, right? Sometimes anger out of control shows up in our actions, but sometimes it just shows up in our words, which can do great damage. You know, God has called all of us to be a blesser. He wants us to be life givers. He wants us to do good and to speak good words, especially to those we love, not to use intimacy as an excuse to somehow be mean spirited or vengeful or crude with our words and feelings. Intimacy is not meant to be something that just allows us to vent in ways that are destructive. It's actually meant to be something that causes us to want to care for what we've been entrusted with even more so as like it's a sacred entrustment. Lord, help us to do a better job here. But when the love of Christ is really present, I think we understand this, but we don't need to walk on relational eggshells. When the love of Christ prevails in a space, when the Lord is present and his love is present in a home or a workplace or a community, a church, sure hope it's there, even though I know where none of us are perfect. Wherever you have imperfect people coming together, there's going to be imperfect things happening. But at the same time, we're all on a quest to have more of his love at work in our lives. And this allows us to be more loving and kind especially with people that maybe are a little bit different than us. That's okay. Maybe that we're <laughs> that's when love can also show up in amazing ways. But wherever the love of Christ permeates an environment, you know, all manner of good flows. 
I think we understand that there's always going to be where Jesus is present, there's going to be more peace. In fact, sometimes forgiveness and mercy and kindness conspire to create a garden of peace. Not perfection, but peace, where there's less strife, ill will, defensiveness, assumptions of, you know, that, that false assumptions and, and aggression. There's less of that. There's an atmosphere where there's less tension and concern about defending and being territorial and posturing more capacity for collaboration and synergy and a kind of equanimity, a relational equanimity that creates a settledness that makes everything seem to work better and more whole, cohesively and unified. So what I'm really trying to get at here is when the love of Christ is present, it tends to create peace and peace tends to create trust and high trust brings enhanced capacity and creativity. We can all max out together in an environment of high trust. When we talked about the speed of trust, well, trust is connected to an environment of peace and peace is going to be connected to the love of Christ. So before we push any further, I just want to, I want to actually have us look at these verses and the description of the way of love in a fresh way, a different way. Because the love that is being described here in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love that describes what God is like. And it's also the kind of love that Jesus modeled when he was here on earth. So what I want to do, and I don't think I'm violating the, the passage or the sacredness of Scripture by doing this. It's a little different. I'll acknowledge that. But instead of reading love, I would like to read verses 4 through 7 and insert Jesus for every place where love is mentioned so that it reads like this. Jesus was patient and Jesus was kind. He did not envy or boast. He wasn't arrogant or rude. He didn't insist on his own way. He was not irritable or resentful. He did not rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoiced in truth. He bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things. Jesus endured all things. Isn't that great? I mean, one of the things I love about Jesus, and it's alluded to here all through these words, because when we talk about love, we're talking about the life that Jesus modeled for us. One of the things that's impossible to miss when you study the life of Christ is his meekness. He said, I'm meek and lowly. Matthew 11, that's how he described himself as meek. Now, meek is not being weak. Jesus didn't say, I'm weak and lowly. Weakness is not wrong. Uh, sometimes, actually, weakness and acknowledgement of our weakness can be a gateway to breakthrough for us. I mean, God always responds to humility. And the truth is all of us have areas in our lives where we're not as strong as we need to be. We're weak. And to bring that weakness to the Lord can be a huge gift, actually, because then we allow God to be able to help us. But the truth is Jesus wasn't weak. He did not need any help. He didn't have a struggle with sin. He walked in harmony with the Father. But he was meek. And when we talk about that, a lot of times, it's not a word we use a lot but it's a word that actually has a lot of depth to it. I heard uh, one Bible commentator that I love. Some of you have heard me talk about G. Campbell Morgan and his commentaries on the Gospels, the life of Christ. One of the things that he talked about was meekness. And the way he described it in relation to Jesus was this. He said, meekness, as it related to Jesus, was power under control. 
power under control. That's what a way to think of Jesus. There was never a more powerful person who walked this earth, never one who had more capacity to do good or to do harm. And yet he was totally submitted to the will of father, utter love, utter control. When he spoke out correctively, it was with intention. And when he spoke out in rebuke, it was to come against things that he saw as evil and destructive. But when we talk about meekness and Christ-likeness, sometimes we might not be able to think about how that might apply to us. I remember also reading John Piper, a celebrated theologian, and he said this about meekness, and I think we can relate to it. I hope we can. He said, meekness does not mean the absence of passion and conviction and even indignation for the glory of God. Jesus clearly had passion, and he at times had indignation, a holy indignation as it related to the things of God. And when he saw people being abused or principles of righteousness being violated, he did get indignant for the glory of God. But Piper went on to say this, but it does not mean that we don't have, but it does mean that we don't have hair triggers. In other words, when we're meek, we don't just, we're, we don't just fly off. It's not like someone has to walk in a minefield. It does mean that our disposition is one of readiness to listen and learn. It does mean that we are s slow to write off a person or write a person off, slow to condemn, slow to anger. You see what we're saying? Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. So love isn't weak. It's meek. And it's not irritable. It's, it's not easily irritated. It's not prone to an angry response. It's not quick triggered. It's not what love is. It's not what healthy love is. It's not what the love of Christ at work in our lives looks like. You know, when the love of Christ is flowing through us, people don't have to worry about the tripwire. They shouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have times where we, you know, we don't get it right. But for the most part, people need to feel safe around us. They do. And I'm talking about emotional safety. When I was a boy, um, and, you know, I find myself now, decades later, I can still reflect back to when I was just a little guy <laughs> growing up. And uh, I had one brother, and my dad, I still remember how sometimes challenging it was to be around him, depending on what mood he was in. And he was a great provider in our early years, but he was a man who was also in, in deep pain. I didn't know it at the time. Like all children, I really was unaware of his hurt, of his damage, of his own demons, if you will, though, his own struggles and his own yearning to be loved. There were things that I didn't understand but my father, what I do remember my father, and he was, he was someone who just, he had an easily triggered tripwire. And on any given day, I never knew what mood he was in or how he would respond. And it did create a, a lack of certainty, an emotional instability. So on the one hand, there was a, a mostly a physical security, but there was an emotional 
instability that it, it was hard because you, you had to be on guard because you, you never knew if your if your dad in, the, in my case was coming in irritated or angry uh, didn't know how his day went at work you didn't know if you were one mistake away from an explosion and you just didn't know if what was seemingly a little thing could be treated like it was a huge thing, but on the next day it wasn't. And, and so I, I just want to say this, this might help some of us. I think we understand this hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, bless people, bless people. God wants us to be a people who walk and live in blessing, but hurt people, hurt people. And it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation. You know, my father's gone. Um, he's been dead for a number of years. He went to be as imperfect as he was uh, to Jesus. I'm confident of that. He, later on in his life, we, we were able to establish a little bit of a better relationship. I was able to pray with him. I remember that on more than a few occasions. He clearly made a decision to confess Jesus. That was such a huge gift. And he reaffirmed his faith after a number of years of drifting. So I, I but I think, his, I suspect it's true. His, his impact in my early years has stayed with me all my life. And now I'm almost, what, six decades into this life. And as is so often the case, we are, for good or bad, all of us, our, our parents, sons, and daughters, we're affected by their, their example, their lives, by their impact, even when we don't want to be. And I look back and I, I look back at my time as a, as a young father and now as a, hus as a husband for, for decades now, and I, I still see the effects of that. And that's not blaming anybody. That's not trying to take myself off the hook, but it's always been an area that I, I've struggled with as well. Uh, I really had to submit my, in my early life with Jesus, my temper to the Lord, because I had one and only the grace of God has allowed me to, to negotiate some of the things that I saw modeled that were planted inside of me and then to start a new line of blessing with the help of Christ. But I still have to be watchful. I can easily get irritated, easily provoked. Uh, and the Bible is reminding us here that love is not irritable. It's not supposed to be provoked. When the Christ is present in our lives, it will show up in peaceableness and kindness. And, you know, and there's another issue here because as we get older, and I've noticed this as people tend to age, they, they tend to become more easily irritated, provoked, bothered, not less, more. Now, there's always exceptions to that rule. And if you're an exception to that rule, well, that's wonderful. And I do think there are exceptions. But... Many of us were used to the way we do things and we have certain expectations. And when those things aren't going the way we want them to go, we can become bothered, irritated, uh, troubled, thrown off our game, so to speak. And I know that's not the Lord's will for us. Now, this is also true for younger, <laughs> the younger ones among us as well. So you're not off the hook. I just think that's something we need to be especially aware of as we get older. But as I pondered my past with my father and what the Bible says love doesn't do here in 1 Corinthians 13, I also was reminded of an example of 
what love doesn't do from the Older Testament. I'm talking about a man named Saul. I'm talking about King Saul. And remember, the Older Testament <laughs> is part of the Bible as well as the New Testament. A lot of times people only want to talk about Jesus and um, the the example of the Gospels and the Epistles in the New Testament, but the Old Testament is a wonderful complement that it informs the New and it gives us so many examples. One of those examples is, is King Saul. And in 1 Samuel 18, I'm not going to have us read the passage, but there's this gripping description of how after an evil, harmful spirit was allowed by God to come upon him, he rose up and he threw a spear at David uh, with the intention of, of pinning him to the wall with that spear. And at the time, young David was playing music for Saul which had a kind of therapeutic effect on him. And think about that. David was, the worship music was calming the troubled spirit of, of Saul, who was descending into uh, paranoia and an unhealthy mental state. And he was becoming a dangerously unpredictable man who could lash out at any time. And he's kind of a case study of a troubled, unsafe person and leader. In fact, some versions describe the spirit that fell upon him as a spirit of distress, which I found fascinating. Obviously, Paul, Saul, not Paul, Saul, King Saul, uh, Saul in the New Testament becomes Paul, but that's a different Saul. King Saul of the Older Testament, the one who precedes David, is an extreme example of irritation and provocability. But we're not exempt from less extreme expressions of unloving behavior. And oftentimes we can find it easy to blame others for making us upset. I don't know if you've ever done that. <laughs> Come on now. I know I have that we can try to justify our angry outbursts on others and say, well, it's their fault for making us upset. And I was reading an article by a writer named Joe Bloom who described it this way, just check this out. He says, we like to blame our irritability on someone or something else. We try to convince ourselves and them that they make us irritated. If they were different, we wouldn't be irritated. <laughs> or we blame it on being tired or ill or stressed. And I guess all those things can be contributing factors. But Paul diagnoses irritability as a heart disease, a failure to love. Love, we're told here, is not irritable. Our irritability never has its roots in the soils of righteousness. It springs out of the soil of selfishness and springs up fast. Check this out. Like the sin weed that it is. Like the sin weed that it is. We get irritated. I've never heard quite described that way. We get irritated or easily provoked, not when God's righteousness or justice is scorned, but when something we want is being denied, delayed, or disrupted. It works like this. And I call these blooms eight irritability triggers. When I list them, when you hear them, think about what you can most relate to. Honestly, I found myself going, wow, I've done every one of these. But this is what Bloom talks about in these irritability triggers. Remember, love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. Bloom says, when I'm weary, I want rest. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. He says, when I'm sick or in pain, I want relief. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. He says, when I'm preoccupied, I want uninterrupted focus. But if it's denied, delayed, or disrupted, I get irritated. Ooh. 
when I'm running late and I want to avoid appearing negligent. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. When I'm disappointed, I want my desire fulfilled. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. When I'm fearful, hmm, I want to escape from a threat. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. A lot of anger flows out of fear. A lot of anger flows out of fear. I know it did with my father. Uh, when I'm certain, and, and by the way, I need to mention this. My father was the son of my grandfather, who was the most influential man I ever had in my life, taught me how to love Jesus. And yet his son was a damaged and hurting man. And I, I just want to say that because I think that looking back, a lot of his anger that was expressed was connected to his fear. Anyway, I need to stay focused. So thank you for hearing me out there. When I'm uncertain, Bloom says, I want certainty, preferably reassuring. But if it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. And then he said one more thing. When I'm enjoying something, I want to continue until I wish to be done. But if it's denied, like you're, you're getting in the middle of my enjoyment here. If it's denied, delayed, disrupted, I get irritated. <laughs> May who, I mean, I can relate to every one of those. May the Lord help us not to walk this path, but rather to contend for the better way. I'm talking about the Lord's way, the way of love. And, and the good news is this. There are things we can do to enhance the love that is not easily provoked a love that is more patient, a love that is more able to manage its anger rather than letting that anger manage it, right? One of those things is this. I'll just list a couple. One of them seems so simple, but it's prayerful study and planting his words in our hearts. Your word, the scripture says in Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Are we hiding his words in our heart? They will help guide us through our angry times, our irritation times. They will keep us from speaking words that we shouldn't speak, from doing damage we shouldn't do. It will help us to be more loving, more of a blesser, speak more words of life. Lord, help us. That's what we want. We want your words in us so that what comes out of us increasingly looks like your words. And then secondly, connected to it, as the Lord, ask the Lord to fill us with more of his Holy Spirit. So prayerfully study and plant his words in our hearts and then ask the Lord to fill us with more of his Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The NLT puts Galatians, well, it renders Galatians 5, 15 and 16 like this. Look at this. It's great. It says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, which by the way, is a fantastic way of describing what we can do to one another when we're agitated, <laughs> watch out. Beware of destroying one another. It can happen. It does. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You won't fall into these patterns that are destructive and hurtful. And then thirdly, I would add, and this is maybe the one that means the most, seek to be more like Jesus. Again, with the help of His Spirit at work in us our model, our example of how to live a life of healthy love. Become a student of his ways. Practice his ways. In 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24, we're told, speaking of Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 
who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. You know, this is, this is the love of Jesus. You know, when everything was taken from the Lord and he had every reason to retaliate, what did he do? He not only blessed, but even before the blessing, he, we need to see this. He trusted himself to him who judges justly. So much of loving others in our life well is connected to trust. The more we trust God and are settled in the safety and security of his love, the easier it will be to love and not, I'm going to call it R&R. And my, when I say R&R, I'm not talking about rest and recreation. I'm talking about react and retaliation. <laughs> That's the more we trust God with our lives, the more we are centered in his love, the more that love is flowing through and in us, the more we will be at peace and the less we will react and retaliate. A lot of times it's just out of our hurt. We just let it go and, and we, we do damage. Sometimes over the years, I've said words and I, as I've been saying them, I, I, I wish I could take them back as I was saying them. I was retaliating. You hurt me, I hurt you back. And a lot of times that can escalate and, and, and it gets ugly. But that's not what the Lord wants for us, loved ones. He wants us to walk in his love and that love shows up. That love shows up with us being patient and slow to anger. And that's the last thing I want us to just be aware of. Here it is. One more think. The Lord is very patient with us and he's slow to anger. And that's how we should be with others. The same way the Lord treats us, we want to treat others. In fact, the Bible reminds us if we can't forgive, we're going to have a hard time being forgiven. And if, if we want the Lord's grace and mercy in our lives, then we need to be merciful and gracious to others, right? And that I, I'm so thankful the Lord does not pounce on me when I let him down, which I've done and do, and I'll do again. But when I disappoint him or sin against him or make a mistake, the Lord still loves me. I mean, I have to, I have to, you have to do so much to get away from God's love. He keeps on us. He, he won't give up on us. He's very patient. Even his discipline flows out of love. I thank the Lord for that. He just doesn't let us go our own way. He keeps trying to get us, pull us back where we belong. Lord, Lord shows us how we are to, to treat others by the way he treats us. He's the best example. So I'm going to come back around. I actually have one more thing to share. And this one is what I'm calling a PCR test. Now, I know a lot of us got familiar with PCR tests <laughs> during COVID, but I'm going to talk about a different kind of PCR test as a way of bringing all of this back together. But before we do that, we're going to have a song. And um, yeah, I just want to remind all of you, if I can, and please bear with me and hear my heart on this. But I do want to remind you to be faithful in your giving. I'm talking to our Cornerstone community right now. And 
those of you who are part of what we do here. Remember, when it comes to your tithes and your offerings, it not only allows us to keep doing what we're doing, it also does something in your life. So remember, you can send those into our offices. You can, you can give online directly. You can give through the app. But like I say, before you do anything else, give them your heart, right? But even now, Lord, I just pray for your blessing as we prepare to let some of the things that we've shared settle into our heart. I just pray that you give us more love, more of you in our lives, so that more of you flows out of us, more of your love at work in us, so that more of your love is displayed through us. Help us in our weak areas to grow and to do better. Hear our heart, we pray. We love you, and we are open to your songs, your overtures of love for us. We're open right now. I just ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, and then I'll come back around and close this out.
that I am, with all that I have, I will worship you, Jesus, alone. There's no other God, no other one, whose love I can depend upon. With all that I am, with all that I have, I will worship you, Jesus, alone. No other God, no other one whose love I can depend upon. Whose love I can depend upon. Your love I can depend upon. All right, I mentioned that we were going to close with what I'm calling a different kind of PCR test. Now, many of us got real familiar with a PCR test during COVID, I suspect. I never even had heard of it before, but I wanna give us a different kind of PCR test. And this has to do with overcoming anger. One, you know, pause, that's P. Pause to reflect instead of react. C, consider. Consider the potential effects of what we're about to say or do. And R, and this one's the best. Remember the example of our Lord. Come on. Remember the example of our Lord, what he modeled, what he taught us, how patient he is with us, and how by having more of him actively at work in our lives, we can start to look more like him. Yeah, PCR, pause, consider, and remember the way of Jesus. <laughs> Let that be our closing thought and blessing as you go your way into this day, into your tomorrow. Uh, let's walk with the shepherd together in Jesus' name.